Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Hey, welcome to Standing in Faith. My name is Kat, and I'm in the studio with Jeff. Hello. David. Hey. And Rochelle. Hi. All right, so the part I just read is from Exodus 17, starting at verse 8. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Yeah, and for if if you ever think about, I mean, for those that come into our sanctuary, you'll notice that one of the names that's up there is Jehovah Nisi, and uh, that's that's from this passage. Um, the Lord is my banner, and He is. I think another translation could be victory too. The Lord is my victory. Yeah, I read in a couple of places. Well, it makes sense. I mean, He's our banner, um, in the sense that He. You, you, you know what, why they use the banner, right? The word banner in that context. Not really. Why? You, do you know? Yeah. I mean, war times, you'd have your banners mm-hmm. and your king, mm-hmm. and it would show who, which tribe you're with. Mm-hmm. And when you have a banner, you're celebrating, you're proclaiming something. You know, if you, you've just lost, you're not really in the mood to, like, wave your flag. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of cool that, that there is this simulation. I mean, even in the verse that you just read, Kat, there's a different word for victory in um, verse, let's see, uh, verse 14, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, verse 14, that word victory there, and then to get it more specific, nisi in Hebrew is really to proclaim something, uh-huh. proclaim victory. It's not just the victory, it's to proclaim it. It's like this, everybody check this out. It's pretty cool. In which they would wave, you know, their flags because they dominated. But the fact of the matter is their banner was the Lord God. He was Jehovah Nisi. He was their banner. He was their victory ultimately. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important, especially when you when you jump over to 1 Corinthians, what, 1557. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus the Messiah. Jesus did redemptively for us on the cross was the fulfillment of the ultimate victory. It brought us back. It restored us back into forever right relationship with God. So victory victory is kind of something that I've been pondering, meditating on, researching now for almost a year. 
And there's so many different places, biblically speaking, where God is victory. Um, I get, the first place I can pops into mind, obviously, outside of this one, is with David and Gideon, right? And so many times when they are faced with a giant, right? I think the Amalekites in this case felt pretty big. Yeah. Right? It was a giant thing for them, yet God brought them victory, um, just like David and Goliath was a giant. That, and then I think about Caleb and just get amazed. Right? Give me that big guy. Give me the biggest one. I want him. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I'm going to go into this land that I saw full of milk and honey. That, that's victory. Um, but I think, I think, well, okay, I'll, I'll keep going down my victory. So there's some fabulous Psalms that David has written about victory. Um, I, I'll let the listeners go find them, but yeah, there's victory decrees, victory prayers. I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff, biblically speaking, on victory. Um, one of my favorite ones, though, is... Um, on Palm Sunday, right? We all know the story. Jesus got the call. He rode in, and they were declaring Hosanna, right? Hosanna means, in Aramaic, bring the victory. Um, so I thought that was, I mean, I, every time we Hosanna. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I know I'm all over the place. Sorry, listeners. I'm very scattered today. But that takes me back to Jericho and the walls, mm-hmm. Right, and they were blowing their horns. That that shofar is the horn of victory. Right, it brought the walls down. Um, and on a side note, can you imagine what those people? They thought that they were so safe behind those huge walls, mm-hmm. and here's this crazy group of people. Just every day they come out blowing those horns. That's all they're doing. They're walking around the city blowing the horns. What what do they think they're doing? I mean, that must have been, at first it must have been, they thought it was funny, but then it probably got to the point where they're like, what in the world? Yeah, like a little eerie. Again? And then on that last day, they gave a victory shout. Right? There's your proclamation, right? Verbalizing. It's It's like when you're proclaiming that victory, it's because it's happened. And I love that there's this whole process here, you know, even before Genesis or Exodus 17, they keep relying on God for the quail, for the manna. They're complaining, we need God, but where is he? You know, God, Moses, what's the deal here? Is is God really going to provide for us? Is there really a victory coming? Is this land, why are we called the people of Israel? They weren't in Israel yet. They weren't, I mean, they were called out as God's chosen people, but they're still on their journey. And the Amalekites are the this these people that they were fighting were huge and massive and i love that very first verse and verse 8 while the people of israel were still at rephidim the warriors of amalek attacked them they attacked god's plan they attacked god's purpose they attacked god's victory that in god's eyes has already happened you're attacking something that is not going to happen that's not going to happen and i love how god is going to use his people and cooperate with his people and have his people witness in the front line with blood, sweat, and tears that as long as it is with me, the victory has already happened. We can praise. We can have our banner over us. It is God's plan. And so no matter who comes and attacks, they might be attacking you, but oh, no, no, no. 
there's a plan. <laughs> We're already proclaiming that victory and that he's going to work through them in that process. They're, they're going to dance together. They're going to have to physically and mentally and emotionally walk through their faith that it is done. It is his plan that will happen. You know, a lot of pastors and ministries use this verse to talk about how much we need to work together, that it's not one person doing it all. It's There was many roles all playing into the idea that God is true and God's way is right, and it will be, you know, I am. And so I love that the victory is not just what will be or is coming, it is. It is his victory, and that we get to either proclaim that and walk those walls of Jericho. It's already, the parade is happening, even though in our eyes, sight, we don't see that victory yet. There's something powerful in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an actual practice of walking out victory. If he is the God of Nisi, victory, our banner. Well, a side note, if you think about the Israelites, when they were, they left Egypt, they had been slaves. They were not warriors. Where did they learn to fight? I think this this was the first real battle they, they were in since they fled Egypt, right? Yeah, true. Where did they learn to fight? I mean, you know, they, they, they had been slaves all those years. They couldn't have, you they know. They knew how to fight each other, but they didn't necessarily know well, how to yeah. fight as an army, an organized army against an enemy. Right, Yeah. right. And yet here Warriors. they— Warriors. Yeah. And yet here, you know, they— beat this huge, ferocious army that's well-trained and whatever, it comes against them. You just have to realize that that's anointing. It's God that's just that that's doing that, you know. Otherwise, forget about it. That'd have been wiped out. I like how Moses holding up that staff is like a prophetic act in and of itself because in Jeremiah 23, there's a prophecy that it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So here is this prophecy of Jesus being this righteous branch. So I think of it I again as like, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this um, you know, this like piece of wood, you know. And, uh, and then in John 8, speaking about like slavery and stuff, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so Jesus came, you know, as that righteous branch. And as long as he's held up, then our slavery to sin Mm -hmm. is no more. You know, as long as it's Jesus giving us the victory over sin. That's so powerful. Not our own. Yeah, we're mighty warriors then, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's been this pattern in Exodus of Moses. He's writing this to us. He's trying to tell us there's layers. And as his faith is growing and he's building this story of Exodus to to share the story of Egypt coming out of slavery, it seems like there's layers where he's calling God different things. He's 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 getting to know the Lord more and more and more. And there's this intercession that Moses keeps praying for the people and then God says, "Okay, well, since you've entered, you know, I'll, God almost changes his mind based on the prayers of the righteous man, Moses, you know, and there's there's verses that we've talked about where God seems to really want us to be in conversation with him and not just sit back and be like, well, we're just going to hang out and wait and see what God does. God has the plan. We'll just kind of sit here and not be active. These are different stories that Moses is telling us with his own hand 
that he was playing an active role in what God was doing. I think that's fascinating, that we shouldn't just sit back and be like, well, it's all going to happen the way it happens. But there's this enter and exchange of the prayers of the righteous man, Moses, mm-hmm. and Joshua being raised up as somebody who's like the physical manifestation of God's power, and Aaron's experiencing the physical manifestation of being a priest over the people, like even the symbolism of being on a hill looking down at the Israelites. Um, There's just like a lot of building going on here about God's nature with the different roles that we all get to play. Oh, that's good. That's really good insight. Yeah. It all's playing together, and we don't even know it when we're praying how it's all playing together. We're all part of one cloth. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to the verse that David quoted from 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm scattered today. I'm apologizing again. I'll stop. <laughs> but So here they're all, Hosanna, bring the victory, Palm Sunday. Right. Mm-hmm. The next thing they know, they want to crucify him. The disciples go through their, honestly, trauma. Yeah, right? cr- like crisis what of faith. Here, yeah, he was supposed to free us from the oppression of the Roman Empire, right? And he's mm-hmm. dead. This isn't working out the way we thought it was going to work out. And this is the Jeff paraphrase of what was going on. And then all of a sudden, right, Mary finds him alive. It, this always kind of baffles me. I mean, he told them all this was going to happen, yet when that Over when and over happened, again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> when it okay. happened, they all And it was written hundreds, like, oh thousand years earlier. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then Thomas. Thomas is funny, right? So it, Jesus told them what was going to happen, and it happened, and Thomas still doubted it. Um, even though everybody else was saying, <laughs> no, it's true, right? Thomas is still like, yeah, I'm, I need to see it for myself. Anyways, <laughs> Um the Jeff paraphrase of the Bible is getting silly, so I'm going to get serious now. But, right, so Scripture tells us that that was our victory. It goes even further and says that that it became our triumph. Now, I remember um, Nick Pettit used to describe triumph to me as like a not just a victory parade, but a complete, honestly, domination of the enemy. They, like drag them around on chains behind their chariot. I mean, it was a it was a show of absolute force. Um, and that's what we got through Christ is triumph. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes out of 2 Corinthians 2.14. Um, but one of the things that's interesting to me, and you guys are kind of indicating it with the whole, the, the Moses holding up the stick, but... Uh, I think sometimes our victory doesn't look the way we expect it to look. I True. think we've got in mm-hmm. our mind what victory should look like, yet what Jesus did for us by taking upon himself what we could never have done for ourselves um, and being fully God and fully man, he satisfied that need for atonement, and he provided, honestly, eternal redemption for those who believe. So now it's not like you have to continually 
be concerned with atonement anymore. It was once and for all. Mm-hmm. So that's remarkable to me. Remarkable. That that's a that's a huge victory. That's a huge victory for anybody who believes. That means you walk in that victory. Now, I guess where it's getting interesting to me is how does that then in the future manifest? So that's kind of just the thought that's been... How far in the future? What do you mean by future? Current future or eternal future or... Yeah. And that's yes to both of those questions. I, I don't know. What does that victory look like? And what does victory look like for each person? Because these are, these names in particular, I find that, that God defined himself as this is who he was or is, and Jesus fulfilled these so that we could then be that. I think it's important, though, to realize that our victory is in Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if it's in him, then that's what we walk in. We walk in his victory. We walk in, um, I mean, everything about it is what we do in him in our whole life. So whatever those victories may be, uh, even if you're in in, in a horrible place, you're still a victorious you're more than conquerors. You're continuously these these uh, uh, amazing warriors, like we said earlier. That you know um, that that are involved in that. Yes, we have our battles, but victoriously, we still always win because it always, you know, to think about being victorious apart though from that, I think we can get into trouble a lot of times. Well, I'm victorious. Um, and because he helped me be victorious. No, I'm victorious because I'm in him, period. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree with you. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, another side note, I know you got something, um, was when you were talking about triumph, was in, in 2 Colossians 15, it says, having disarmed principalities and, and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, yeah. triumphing over them in it. Yeah. Right? He was leading all these guys in chains in back of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's huge. I love that. I think, I think for me, that verse in 2 Corinthians 2.14, if I read the rest of it, because there was a comma, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his mm. knowledge in every place. Mm. I think that's the purpose of a victory. I don't think the purpose of victory is necessarily so that we could get all the spoils, although sometimes that does happen, mm-hmm. right? But I think the purpose of the victory is to diffuse the fragrance of who he is to those everywhere mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. So, And I even believe what you're saying is the that fragrance is the reward. It's not that we get the spoils and like, yay, great, God, we get it. Awesome things like, oh, it's the fragrance of him that is the reward. We get him. You know, it says that the Levites, they didn't get a part of the inheritance of the land. They got the Lord himself was their inheritance. I think that is the rewards. And sometimes we in the church, we use language or we speak of things as if 
um, salvation is going to lead us to eternal life. Like one day we'll have eternal life. Eternal life is now, back then, over there, up and down and around. And so if we're walking in that victory, it is eternal victory, and it means that we're able to rest in that. And it's really easy to say, okay, but what does that mean for, let's just take the sin thing that you mentioned earlier, to be removed from sin because we're in the branch, we're resting in him, we have victory in Christ, we are in him. But how do you how do you expound on that when you're an addict or when you are stuck in a cycle of sin and you're seeing this way and you're being like, come on, brain, just experience the victory. You can't whack your head on mm-hmm. the wall and make yourself feel or think or believe the victory. I love that God continuously shows us that the development of faith happens through not only experience, but as we get the rewards, the fragrance of Christ, our faith expands. There's this play between experiencing Christ, experiencing the power of him, the fragrance of him, and then our, our faith literally, like in the spirit expands like a larger covering over us, and we're able to experience that victory. I mean, what do you guys think about that when, when you've heard or been in a cycle of sin or a cycle of struggle, and you cannot figure out why you believe with your mind you believe with your heart, whatever, but you're not experiencing the victory. You're outside of the, the garden of the victory, and you're wanting so badly to be there. I think what you're talking about is the difference between a true identity and a false identity. So the false identity is if I'm stuck in a cycle of sin, the false identity is I'm a sinner, Right, you go right. back to I'm defining shameful. yourself. Right, mm-hmm. I'm guilty as charged. I'm wretched. I'm an addict. What's wrong I'm, with me? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are all, I would call them, they, they're identities that are ungodly and honestly unrighteous that we carry around and we honestly come into agreement in some cases with oh i am a sinner they're lies they're lies yeah from the pit of hell that 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 we believe yep but back to what david said it's in him that's that's what our true identity is Mm -hmm. right and we'll cover this probably when we get to to god my righteousness but what Christ did for us did make us righteous. That is our true identity in him. That's the It's banner. no longer I that live, mm. but Christ who lives in me. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the When you banner. have a banner, it's like being on a sports team. This is the jersey I wear. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. Yep. So it's, it's, it's getting aligned to the truth of who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just, I still think you can't get there though until you experience the fragrance of Christ. It's like in experiencing Him, receiving Him, hearing His testimony, hearing what and who He is, that's where that freedom, you can't just will your way. You can't beat yourself for being a, a bad sheep for believing lies. You can't just start beating yourself like, what's wrong with me? Now you have more shame because you were listening to the lies of the enemy. I think now, a lot of people do that. That's though. what I'm saying. I mean, that's why religion is in church, because then it can keep us enslaved to what's wrong with me? Why can't I just believe? If I just had more faith, this wouldn't be an issue or that healing would come. And I don't ever want someone to think that if you just 
will it harder or what's wrong with me that I can't believe. The only way we can believe is through the testimony of his son. That's where the power of the gospel, the power of God is through the gospel. And so if you don't hear it, I don't know. I just, I love the idea that even Christians, as believers, we need to always remember. That's why we have the word, is to always be washed and renewed. And the renewing of our mind happens experiencing the power of God. Yeah, until people grow out of the idea of the imposed law, which is yes. a, it's a very low scale of immaturity, actually, that says, you've messed up, you need to be punished. That is not God's design. God's design is to bring healing and restoration and wholeness. And that's stepping up levels above that. Um, it's God's design law of love. When you think about the fact that he wrote the laws of God on our heart, what are the laws of God? The laws of love. Not thou shalt not do this, that, and the other. He wrote the laws of love. Love your neighbor. Love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's what's been written in our hearts. And I think it's, you know, the, the, the sad thing is when you talk about the church being stuck in that religion thing, because religion does beat people up ultimately, and it, but it, it comes after people from a, a whole judging, playing God, basically. That's what, that's what happens when, when we do that. And they deserve this. They deserve that. I, think, I deserve this. I deserve that. Uh, hello. You know? A testimony. Let me just share. Did Kat, did you have something? Uh, not yet. Okay. So uh, I wanted to share this little testimony since you brought all that up about this guy. We were we were in a meeting years ago. It was a big conference. And, and um, <clears throat> there was a guy at the end, they had these prayer lines where you go up and get prayed for, you know, and there were these big-name guys up there praying for people and all this, and uh, it was really neat. And this guy comes up, and he's real scruffy and, and you know, kind of pitiful-looking, and he walks up, and immediately God speaks to one of the main guys there and says, you know, what, what this guy was an old drunk and, and years of alcohol, everything, I mean, under the, the weight of all that. God immediately, instead of him looking at him and thinking, oh, we got to pray for this guy and deliver him, God said, honor this man. He's one of my generals. And boy, they stepped back and they just blessed him. Well, the guy died a couple weeks later. But, but. God always saw that guy, not as an addict, not as a drunk, not as some wretched, pitiful thing, but God always saw him as his general. That, that amazes me when I think about that. That's the amazing grace of God, you know? And I think that's what we see when we think about him, that in him, in his righteousness clothed in him and that's how god sees me yeah god sees our true identities yeah despite yeah. how we walk that out in this example god still saw his true identity let's bless the listeners mm -hmm. 
I bless the listeners in Jesus' name with victory and triumph through Jesus the Messiah. I bless the listeners with knowledge and fragrance of their true identity. I bless the listeners whole and full of the grace of God. Psalm 25:15 says, "My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare." So I bless the listeners with eyes that are on the Lord and that for every victory and every every lesson learned and every sanctification that God does and perfecting our faith, that they would write it down, that they would remember it and keep those memories before them, that it is the Lord who has done this. Lord, for all of those that are stumbling, who feel like failures, who are walking in fear and shame, may their faces be lifted up to see your face, God. It looks on them with amazing love, healing love that would wipe away years of pain and anguish. Lord, I just ask that you bless those who feel tired, that their arms are heavy, that they're, get, they're starting to feel their strength just fall mm-hmm. out of them. I just ask that any of those that can hear my voice right now and hear this prayer that they would feel your presence holding their arms up, that your people would come around them and hold them up, that they would believe that your victory is already done and that the process, the tiredness, the pain, the waiting, the violence, whatever is going on around them is what we see, but it is not what is real. Help us to see with spiritual eyes, not with the physical, to know that you are on the throne and that any Amalekite or enemy of you that comes against your people will not succeed, will not succeed. We thank you for this this image that you lift us up, that your banner over us is love. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Amen.